Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Kevin Swatsky, and I took a left at the valley and ended up right where I was supposed to be. <laughs> Beautiful. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists, you know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that, but with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it, I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed, I'm an Coming at you from backwards atmospheres, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I asked my mom why she stopped breastfeeding me. She said she just wanted us to be friends. Oh my god. <laughs> Joining me as usual is a team who think, don't kid yourself, is a great slogan for a condom company. Yeah. That is the perfect slogan for a condom company. That is actually a really good slogan. <laughs> She hates it when people can't let go of the past, especially debt collectors. Nancy. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, she's usually hired by debt collectors to collect. (laughs) And she described herself in three words. Lazy. Christina. I take offense to that. I don't even think I'd get the first word out. I think that's funny. And she thought Balderdash meant a rapid receding hairline. Is that not what it means? Uh, ladies, welcome back. It's good to be here. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, hope you had a great week. Oh, we always have a great week. I made it through the one week, way or so the it's other. good. It's a good, it's a good start. <laughs> I'm alive. So today we'll be talking to our old friend, Rich Lyons. And yeah. if you remember him, uh, he was a man I that... remember, I remember him. Yeah, the question you, you mostly is, remember. Do the three of you remember <laughs> I him? do, actually. I, I fully remember that show. He was the one that uh, suffered through us during a stone episode that we did <laughs> in uh, mid to late October last year. And today we'll be talking about his podcast. But first, let's do a little chit-chat and we've got lots of things to go through. Did you guys hear that the um, the magnetic pole, the magnetic north pole of the Earth is actually moving further north at an alarming rate? It's actually, scientists are actually baffled why it's doing that. Uh, a century ago, the magnetic north pole was on the north coast of Canada. What? Yes. It's not like the, the it's not like the geographic North Pole, right? It's where the the, the, the magnetic oh, the magnetic the magnetic you know where okay. your compass actually yeah. points, right? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was the North Pole. No, 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 no. like I, the peppermint stripe North I, Pole. I <laughs> Santa is thought the magnetic North Pole was at the exact North Pole. No, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. not. No, it's not. Right? It does and, kind of oh. shift, though, doesn't it? It does shift. It it, it wasn't shifting so much uh, between the 1900 to about 1980. Then it started shifting going north, and it's now moving going to Russia. It's moving about 50 kilometers a year. Wow. What? Yeah. The Russians are stealing it. It's aliens, guys. It's always aliens. It's it's the Russians attacking on Facebook. (laughs) Their ads, right? Um, And uh, the military asked for a a recent assessment because they're 
their GPS yeah, and their communication kind of, kind of depends on that, and, uh, and it's affecting the navigation. So, uh, and of course, uh, the magnetic North Pole basically moves due to liquid iron inside the Earth that basically is shifting. And that right now, the pole, if you, the magnetic pole itself is actually, like we said, is moving further up so north. So that's, so is the iron that's making it shift? Yes. Oh, There's like liquid light the iron inside the, inside the Earth, inside oh. the crust. And that's what's causing the, magne- uh, the magnetosphere, if you wish, to be at that certain location. And come from that point like a big magnet right from one pole to the next and it's imagine if you get a sphere and you get a, a magnet bar inside so it's shifting you know it's moving and then right now it's heading towards russia so it, i don't know whether you can answer this or not is that a normal function or is that an abnormal function i mean um i don't i don't know and i'm not sure scientists know either at this point Okay, because it's never it, it's moving and nobody knows why because there hasn't been Intermittent, intermittent shifts. It's just this seems to be a constant. Well, shift. It, the, the, it, it seems to be a constant it's shift. But yeah. like, like I said, from 1900 to 1980, yeah. it really didn't move that much. I and think now, all of a sudden, since 1980, it started going north. More, yeah, it's more, the more. speed with which it's moving. Yeah, now they're and saying, it's like okay, 50 kilometers a year is a hell of a move, yeah. too. When you think of something, they're like kind of going, okay, something has happened here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, some somebody tried to explain it to me like this. I'm not sure if they're correct or not, but he said, think of it, uh, think of an orange, and let's say you peel the skin of an orange, but you leave it on top, mm-hmm. but the skin moves. But the top of the orange stays essentially where it is, but the skin's moving over top. Maybe mm-hmm. that's what's happening here. The crust essentially is floating over top or the pole inside. Mm-hmm. So the, there's a misalignment, if you wish. Oh, so I mean, there's we don't. So there's no connection with something that might be man-made or global warming. Not that we can tell. So, oh, okay. Not that we can tell. Yeah, and I'd be I'd be curious to see also if the South Magnetic Pole is yeah. essentially doing the same thing. I'd yeah. Anybody, any scientists out there who this is understand we need, this, please let us know and come on the show and explain yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds fascinating, doesn't it? The idea is here, there's a Princeton University study that points that seniors and conservatives are actually responsible for the fake news on Facebook. Wow, I'm super it's my fault. shocked. <laughs> it's my fault. Wait, it's my fault? You might be a senior, but you're not a conservative. No. Wow. They are actually seven times more likely than liberals to actually post something fake. Yeah. Uh, they uh, studied 2,711 people that were interviewed, and they looked at 897 specific articles that were shared on the social media on Facebook. Um, there were seven, uh, the seniors especially, and especially those that are conservative or ultra-conservatives, were seven times more likely to post uh, something fake as compared to the uh, denomination between the 18 to 29 years old, and three times as much as between 30 to 44, and twice as much as between 45 to 64. So it seems as you're getting older, you're more likely to post fake news I, on the, I fa- think on the media. But if you're a liberal, more to do with how the younger generation grew up with this technology mm-hmm. and understands it. It's quite, Where, whereas elderly people grew up in a world where your newspaper was edited by... And they assume automatically that it's true. Exactly. exactly. No, it's, it's quite possible. Uh, and the funny thing is, in, in there too, is the study found out that the liberals, anybody that was quote-unquote liberal, uh, shared no fake news like that. Really? Well, but you have liberal seniors... Yes. So you have conservative seniors and liberal seniors, but the more liberal you are or the more educated you are to um, the more um, Democrat, not Democrat, but more 
progressive mm-hmm. ideas and things, the less likely you are to fall for things that come from a fake source. Exactly. And on a personal note, I've been having a lot of fights on Facebook this past week uh, locally, especially uh, regarding the uh, yellow vest. Uh, because there is a, you know, the Yellow Vest movement in France, which is actually a legitimate movement. But there is kind of a quasi-attempt to have a Yellow Vest movement here in Canada. But it's not the same thing as France. In France, the movement is legitimate. It's a movement of the people. But here, I, I will say, and this is my opinion, it's only my opinion, it's a hijacked movement by conservatives to try to get angry at a Prime Minister Trudeau. Really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And this, this week, some of their, uh, their Facebook page from the uh, Yellow Vest in Canada were actually removed because they were actually putting death threats what? to the Prime Minister. Wow, guys, uh, you're smart. And, you know, it's, it's like, okay, you know, I, I, I don't want to hear, like I said, it's my opinion, but I even when we had a conservative Prime Minister, and I'm, I'm about as liberal as they get, and many on the spectrum there. I don't recall hearing a lot of death threats to Prime Minister Harper. So it's like all these people are saying, oh, there's just as many bad on the left as on the right. I'm sorry, that's not true. That's not true. And that study actually proves it right here. Uh, conservative, the, the conservative movement is dying, and humans are more progressive, like we've always said on the show for the longest time. So, And, and I think this is their last refuge, is to basically lie. And we see that in the state, so. Yeah, I think so. I think when, <clears throat> when the generation, I don't think it's the like what 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 do you call the generation that's around thirty? Is it the millennials? The millennials, that are millennials. Thirty at this point, thirty right and younger. When they begin to be in their, I think in their fifties and so forth, I think we'll see mm-hmm. a shift. Although they say, when people are liberal. Um, in their youth, they become more conservative. Yeah, they used to say that, age. but you know what? But <laughs> I, don't I, <laughs> I don't think with this. I don't think with this generation, it's going to. Um, it's it's going to be that way. I think the progressive um, ideology is is going to yeah. to dominate, um, which is a good thing in, in terms of our outlook. Yeah, I, I think I think personally, the conservative movement. Oh, we could do an entire show on this, but I think yeah. it's it's going to be self destructive at some point, and yeah, it's just going to so. stop in this present incarnation. Um, did you guys hear that uh, repeated radio signals are coming from the galaxy 1.5 billion light years away? I haven't. Cool. Aliens. <laughs> the radio signals and they're, they're 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 repeating themselves and they're essentially flashes that last only like milliseconds, but they have the same energy as apparently twelve months of sunlight, and they repeat themselves about six times now. That's super cool. Yeah, this was actually discovered by the Canadian Hydrogen Intensity Mapping Experiment that we've talked about before called Chime, mm-hmm. right here in BC. So. That's going to be very interesting to, to keep an eye on. Um, it could be absolutely anything. Yeah, it's probably uh, it's caused by a natural Most likely, on. especially when the signal is like milli, uh, milliseconds long. I mm-hmm. mean, it's not... It's very unlikely that it's, it's not like an intelligence or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Still cool, though. It is pretty it cool, It is though. cool. Um, if I was to say a robot killing a robot, <gasps> would that be roboticide? <laughs> there was a, a the story about a Tesla car that mowed down an A1 robot at the uh, CES tech show, which is the Consumer Electronics Show. <laughs> there was a V4 humanoid robot that was actually just walking around, essentially, in a demonstration. And a Model S Tesla, which was, you know, on self-driving mode, just ran right over oh, it. And to be fair, it didn't, like, run over it. It kind of, like, clipped it on the side and yeah. it fell over. Yeah, just because so running much, over, you yes. get a different picture. <laughs> so much for self-driving cars. Yeah, so at least it makes me feel better for the eventual like 
machinery taking over the world because they'll just infight <laughs> like us. Exactly. They'll just do what we do. So so do we, do we have the first case, case of roboticide here in history? I think uh, so. <laughs> some people say it was some people say it was probably a public, uh, publicity stunt. I'm not sure what kind of publicity we're yeah. seeing with this. Did, did, well, was the robot like dead? Did uh, it, apparently was there was it... enough damage that the, the robot is not re- uh, repairable. Okay, point. yeah. So then that's definitely so, roboticide. Well, Elon if, Musk is trying to <laughs> stop the competition. If it's on self-driving mode it's not a remote control car i'm no, assuming no, it, no, it's not. maybe it just didn't register that there was something there most likely that's what happened right it's looking for people not robots well no no it has to be looking for things as well because if there's a garbage can in the road it has to be able to like either stop or like nah, run around it. just hit it just hit it <laughs> anyway it sounds like it sounds like a fun animated movie to me <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be <laughs> Did you guys see there's a movie in the movie movie theaters right now called Vice about uh, Dick Cheney? You saw it. I saw that. I, I have not seen it. It was a fantastic movie, actually. It was very well done. Mm-hmm. And actor Christian Bale <laughs> completely <gasps> takes over the role and yes. disappears under the makeup. And he actually does a fantastic job. Uh, so he went to the Golden Globe. Well, he got a Golden Globe. And he thanks Satan for inspiration to play the role. Oh, I read that. I know. I, that's wonderful. How did the Christians respond? Well, how do you think they responded? They were absolutely delighted. They lost their shit, obviously. Well, to be fair, don't they think Satan like runs the entertainment industry? So shouldn't for them this be like part of the course? Like, yeah, but he he apparently also runs a deep state and you know was there anybody more oh, deep state during the Bush administration than Dick Cheney I don't know uh, you tell me so <laughs> well, I just think that was just such a fun thing to say it really yeah. was I, ju- I just wonder how Christian Bale himself thinks about this because <laughs> I think it's almost flattering that you get yeah. so much of a, 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 a go out of people for saying something like that so I would be honored <laughs> And how does Satan? I mean, has uh, Satan said well, Satan anything? was unavailable for comment, Maybe unfortunately. <laughs> Darn. But he promised he'll get back to us. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys hear about uh, this woman called Rahaf Al-Qunun? I hope I'm pronouncing yeah. this right. She uh, She's a young 18-year-old uh, from the kingdom of Saudi Arabia who uh, was on vacation with her parents to mm-hmm. Kuwait. And she fled and she boarded another plane and she was trying to reach uh, Australia. But she got stranded at the Bangkok airport. Uh, and uh, where authorities uh, tried to p- push her back onto the plane so she could go back to Kuwait, and she locked herself in a hotel room and basically went on social media, and then this made news around the world. Um, she said that she was an apostate, and she was fleeing her parents and the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and she was scared, afraid for her life. Well, Canada decided to step up, and Canada decided to accept her as a refugee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was there was quite a few different countries that were considering it. Yeah, she was kind of stranded there at the airport because uh, apparently she met at some point a uh, a Saudi diplomat who seized her passport. Yeah. So then yeah. she was really kind of stranded there in in Thailand. And how old was she? Eighteen. Yeah. Can you imagine how scared? Oh yeah. She, I mean, it, she obviously was a girl who was brave and scared with with a great deal of control. You know, and and had had to, mm-hmm. you know, watch her behavior all the time. And here she, whatever it was in her mind that said, "I can't live yeah. like this anymore." Yeah, exactly. And the chance it, that she took, and how she—I don't know—maybe she planned it, or mm-hmm. at the last minute she had a you know run for freedom. But we'll hear her story eventually. But, yeah, it uh, makes me so happy. Apparently, she landed this morning in Toronto. How, oh, fantastic! How much. 
technology and social media mm-hmm. can actually do for people yeah. because imagine a world without twitter like yeah. she would have been forced back to saudi arabia and killed Absolutely. and who would have known no yeah, one and exactly and it, and i can only hope that her story gives courage to more women that are in this position to maybe maybe take that risk too mm-hmm. and also i i hope especially more that this story influences men in that country to say well this is ridiculous uh we really should not have our women feel that way that they feel like they're trapped Although, you know, so maybe, I don't know, maybe this is the start of a reform for Islam in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> maybe I'm shooting well, way too Saudi, high here, but... Saudi Arabia is just... I'm just, oh, I'm just trying to be hopeful here. Yeah, I'm trying to be no, it's good to, good to be hopeful, but I, we, certainly wish her, we certainly wish her well. And, and, and welcome uh, to Canada. Yes. Welcome, welcome to Canada. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. All right, well, before we go to our top ten, we got... <gasps> Yay! I'm so excited. I hope it's not bad. Love Blue's Clues. <laughs> uh, we received a letter from uh, Paul, and oh, uh, oh I, I screwed up yet again, and Paul's correcting me. And thank you, Paul. So he says, "Dear Left of the Valley, I would like to say that I enjoy your show very much, and Yay. always look forward to the next new episode." By the Hi, way, Paul. he's from Australia. Oh, this is a listener oh. from Australia. I must also tell you that in your this, uh, December sixteenth episode, uh, someone mentioned uh, skating in Ottawa. And what we're looking for is the Rideau Canal, which is used for skating in the winter and not the hall of the Ottawa Hall River. And he's correct. Hmm. So Fantastic. And that was my mistake there, too. How could you, Kevin? I know. I feel so bad. <laughs> I'm, be, I'm being corrected Canadians. by an Australian on my own country. Yeah. Twice. It's like, oof, this is humiliating. But you know what? He's correct. He's absolutely correct. Also, in the December 23rd, which was our, our Christmas special, uh-huh. uh, Kevin insisted that Banff is in British Columbia. Kevin is called Kevin. Do your homework because Bath is in fact in Alberta, and he's yeah! right. He is right. Of now the mistake. We know that. How, we must. We must. We misspoke. But thank you, Paul. <laughs> hey, no, I wasn't. I no, like. Yes, it's yes, in Alberta. You and I made. Yeah. I made that mistake. I made that mistake, and I explained the mistake because uh, Bath National Park is essentially on the border between. Yes. And when it crosses into. British Columbia, it because Banff National Park. It's still a national park, but it becomes under another name. Yeah. But the national park basically overshadows the, the border on both sides. So, but Banff actually, the city of Banff is actually in Alberta. And that was completely my mistake. No, I think I think I think we were talking. Thanks, I, I think Paul. it was I think it was my top ten that initiated because yes. we we're talking mm-hmm. about gifts to the world yeah. from Canada. So, yes. Paul, if you've been a a visitor to Canada before. Next time, come on to British Columbia and yeah. we'll welcome Absolutely. you here on the show. Paul, thank you so much thank for you. correcting my dumbass. I really appreciate that. So. <laughs> so do I. No, that's great. We love you, Paul. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, speaking of top 10, Nancy, you ready to go? Yeah, I've got, uh, I, I think a little different. I, every week I say, I think I've got something a little different because I try to make them all different. But this is from a blog <clears throat> called Urge of Creativity. And it's the 10 best nonfiction books of all time to Ooh. read before you die. Ooh. So this non-fiction is a subjective okay. list. I'm you excited. may have a different one, but this is a lot of food for thought. So we can go over them and see if you've read them or Probably not. books that you I'm, would like I'm to read. Non-fiction. The first one I bet you guys have heard about, um, but probably not re- except for me I doubt whether you've read it the number 10 book is A Feminine Mystique by oh, Betty yes. Friedan I have not and this is a book um, that when it when it came out when it was published in 1963 
the women that I knew who were in their 30s and 40s and had lived the life of being a housewife mm -hmm. or going to college and having their their education interrupted or being told, you know, you've got, you've got a choice. You can be a secretary, you can be a teacher, you can be a nurse, but if you try to be anything else, it's an uphill climb. So we were brought up in the 50s and by yep. 1963, many of us, you know, had put the dreams aside mm -hmm. and were raising our children. And when we read The Feminine Mystique, it was explosive. And we thought maybe this is something that we could we could maybe become something more than we were. And I was a member of the Unitarian Universalist Church at that time. And groups of us read the book and had it in our laps and had these discussions. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how powerful oh, this book was to so try cool. and could... educate us to, you know, sexism and feminism and and trying to, you know, uh, trying to to break out of the mold and become who we were. It it was so powerful. I can just picture you at that age, yeah. you know, saying, "I'm not going to be a secretary, a nurse. I'm going to be an assassin." <laughs> right. That's right, God damn it! I'm it's an uphill battle, but I don't care. I think we all thought of the same thing as we were going through it. I'm like, that's when Nancy decided to become an assassin. That's, that's I, you know, that's when I started looking for Uzis. You know, in, in, instead of instead of shopping for bikinis, I was at the gun store looking for Uzi. But even even though it's dated, and even though it's 1963, when you read that book, you really understand the movement of feminism and how important it was mm -hmm. to our life. It's a it's really good solution. I yeah. doubt whether you'll really yeah. read it, but it is one that, you know, you can you can see the elements of revolution. Yes. You know, on, on every page. It was a fabulous book. Anyway, going on from the number nine is by Maya Angelou called I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Okay. You've written, if I you've ever read anything, if you haven't read anything by Maya Angelou, she, this is very autobiographical, but her life and her poetry and her, her expression about um, life and about racism and, and things like that are just, they're, they're poetic. Mm -hmm. They're just beautiful. So anything by Maya Angelou is, is worth reading, that's for is sure. Is she still with us or is she gone now? No, she's gone. Yeah, she's gone. She's yeah. gone. I thought so. Yeah. But that's, that's a, a, two women in a row. So number eight will take in a male author, the autobiography of Malcolm X. Oh, by Alex wow. Haley. Well, yeah. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. And Malcolm X. Yeah, he was a, an explosive a, a figure, a polarizing oh, yeah. figure in, in his time. Um, and, you know, human rights, mm -hmm. uh, a, a human rights activist. And there have been books and movies written about him. So to understand, you know, the civil rights movement, mm -hmm. you really, people really should read. read what that. a lot of people don't realize is every peace movement has the polar opposite in the same movement, right? Martin Luther King had Malcolm X. Uh, Gandhi had, uh, there was a more violent option. Uh, I think his name was Singh something. 
I forget the, the name, but you know, every every movement, and this is why you know eventually the authorities would rather deal with the peaceful one than deal with the more violent one. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the uh, anyway. It's a subject of we could shoot a board one of these days. Yeah. Well, this also Alex Haley interviewed Malcolm X from 1963 to 1965. Mm-hmm. So that was the era, the era of the 60s, oh, yeah. where everybody was saying we can be something better, something different, if we confront mm-hmm. society the way it is and, and, and try to move on from the prejudices. And 60 years later, they have no problems with racism in the States, no. right? Oh, no. no. We, conquered, we conquered everything oh, in the yeah. 60s. Oh, yeah. Obama was blind. That's it. That's all everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, number seven, the Second World War by Winston Churchill. Oh, so wow. that, yeah, and, and so that gives. I didn't you, know it was a Churchill wrote a book. I yeah, he portrayed the the period from the end of the First World War to July 1945, and it's a beautiful book. I haven't read it, and he used his own notes and scribbles along with some official documents. But the book was his point of view, so you don't get you know an objective viewpoint mm-hmm. about the era of that time. But it still it got the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1953. And if you rather uh, want to take a quick look also at uh, Winston Churchill through movies instead of the book, which of course I recommend you go for the book, but there's also this very nice movie with Gary Oldman playing Churchill called The Darkest Hour. Oh, that's right. Which is actually very 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 good look into Churchill as well. Yeah. Number six, The Civil War, a narrative by Shelby Foote. Hmm. So if you've ever, if you've seen The, the, um, the Civil War on PBS, um, the documentary Shelby Foote narrates in that, and he's, he's a beautiful storyteller. And for those Americans, it gives you an in-depth mm-hmm. um, uh, portrait of, of, you know, where we were and why we are where we are, mm. where the, the U.S. is now. So it's a extremely well well written book for insight and knowledge about the, the American Civil War anything Shelby Foote wrote is worth worth reading if you like history mm-hmm. not that's not everybody's game but no, you know these are books non-fiction books that will stimulate you and educate you in one way or the other so mm-hmm. that's always a good one number 5 a brief history of time yeah I've been waiting for that because I knew you'd get a good response from that one. Which I believe I have. Have you read that one? Yes, I have. Yeah. What did you think of it, Christina? I loved it. I really enjoyed it. His ability to translate his excitement of the world and the universe. And let's face it, when you were reading it, you were reading it with the voice of the computer, right? No. No, I was. <laughs> I was imagining <laughs> Hawking saying the book, but in, the, in his voice, you know. No, I wasn't. <laughs> but that I should read it again and have that in my mind. Yeah, there have been four editions of that of that book, and it's well. well I have it here. Yeah, but what a aside to what a, a personal story as well as a scientific, mm-hmm. you know, background and knowledge, mm-hmm. you know that. That there isn't, you know, in, in that guy for sure. Number four, In Cold Blood by Truman Capote. Oh. That book has gotten, you know, accolades from so many different um, areas, and, you know, and from literature and, and also, you know, from history and the way he transcribed the book, you know, how he did it. 
um, uh, personally, and he did it with Harper Lee, mm-hmm. um, who wrote uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, Mockingbird. Yep. and they were friends. Oh, really? They're both southern. Not that they were both southerners, so they had to be friends. But they had <laughs> they had a lot in, lot in common. So um, this was in 1959, and it deals with the the murders of four members of a family living in Kansas. So he flew to Kansas with Harper Lee. They investigated the case and they talked to neighbors and peoples and gathered the details and they worked on it for six years and he published it in 1966. And if you're a fan, a fan of crime and true events, you mustn't miss it. And then they made a movie of it as well. But it was a break from Truman Capote to do a, a, a real crime story mm. rather than in fiction. Interesting. So, yeah, it is. And it, it, um, it's, it's one of those things that if you do have time to read it, you're, you'll be well rewarded by the writing and by the details. Because when he interviewed, he didn't sit there with pen and paper because he knew that it would interfere with his rapport with the, with the killers. And so he memorized everything. Wow. And then after the interviews, wrote everything down just interesting how he did it um, number three this is before your time um, all of these are before our Black time Boy by, <laughs> sorry say that again yeah the title pardon what's the title Black Boy by Richard Wright oh this was a book that was written in 1945 and it's basically an autobiography based on his childhood and young adulthood and it deals with his encounters with extreme racism violence and how that influenced his entire life and it starts with a a rebellious boy burning down his grandmother's house and ends with him trying to start a revolution through his writing it was the first book that i read that had to do with racism and had i was brought up in chicago where you didn't see a lot of black people in my neighborhood. Mm. They were the maids. They were the, the cleanup people. And I had no idea about anything having to do with racism or people of color or how they negotiated it. And it was a stunning book for a young girl yes, to read. I think was. I read it in the 50s when I was about 12 or 13. And I didn't understand all of it. But it was a very powerful book. And I think it's still would ring you know true at this point to see okay this is the way the world was in 1945 how far mm-hmm. or how you how know has it how, changed you know how how, how if i could get my tongue working <laughs> but not how far it that we've come so yeah. it's, it's it's an interesting book for comparison um number two the diary of a young girl by anne frank oh, I, I think we're all reminded this. yeah it's I, so sad yeah. It's See, just so my sick. issue is I am already, like, really depressed. So it's like I try to use reading as, like, an escape from the world. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really hard to read biographical stuff that's depressing because it just makes me, like, not happy. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she, she, you know, she had hope. And, you know, to, to read in real time, you're really almost in that attic. You're in that 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 spot with her you're just sitting with her and and you know the ending but you just you know you wish that it hadn't hadn't happened it's very very sad book but but it's a, Mm -hmm. a good one to read number one believe it or not according to this um blogger is the interpretation of dreams by sigmund freud 
Really? I don't know whether really? I put that one as number one or not, <laughs> but it's interesting. Well, I could I could see the value uh, of this book as to you're essentially the baby steps of psychology. Yeah, but so much has been improved on it. Yes, but you got so much wrong. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not saying look, look at the book as a, a reference manual. Look uh, at it as a historical. A novel, a novel in a way how how they were trying to unlock the secrets of the mind. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I could I could see that value. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Eighteen ninety nine. Yeah. And and it still it still holds up. You know, it 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 has gotten somewhat controversial, and not everybody believes it. But as the basis of psychology and how how people negotiate themselves. You know, in in the world through through the explanation of their dream mm-hmm. dreams, it's it's really a fascinating fascinating book for its time. So anyway, according to Freud, our dreams are our own unfulfilled desires that we attempt to fulfill in our own unconscious mind. So anything that I that have has some weird desires. Then. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the granddaddy yeah, of, yeah. of the books. <sighs> So any, if, if, any, you, if you don't like that book from Freud, maybe I'd recommend The Origins of Species from Darwin. Yeah. You know, Actually, that, that, or would, just that read, would make more sense. Or if you Not are, more sense, or, but that should be enough. Or if you are fascinated by psychology, which I am, just read a newer book about psychology. Yeah. So any, any books that you've read or want to read that you think should be on a bucket list of books to read? Duh, well, oh, goodness gracious. Or to start. There's if so we're non by like if nonfiction, I have no idea. I, I think I think a, a, a book that I read recently, which I think doesn't get a lot of credit and really should, especially in this day and age and our political realm as we stand, uh, the Better Angels of Our Nature by Steven Pinker, <gasps> which really shows that you know the world is not going to shit. It's not. Mm-hmm. The facts are that we are, li- are li- right now living in the best times in our history ever. And it's improving and the numbers show it. Yeah. And Pinker does a remarkable job with that book. And it's one of those, because you hear it all the time. Oh, the world's going to hell. The world's going to hell in the hand. Yeah. Especially from Christians. You know, we're atheists. Yeah. We see it all the time. Armageddon's always around yeah. the freaking corner again. You know, get the ninth Armageddon. Your tenth one is free. <laughs> I have a few sheets already <laughs> <laughs> but when you re- when you read that book and you look at the numbers and you take into account history as it was and yeah we truly are I mean think about it this way uh, we are one of maybe two generations right now on this show and you guys are probably the second or the third generation I would say that has never actually had to go to war and any generation before that that was a fact of life you would go to war at some point Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, because for us, people choose to enlist. Yeah, today there, there are some people today to go in the army that's is, the only is a to choice. To, to go to war is a choice by a country, but back then it was an inevitable fact of life. You know, you were gonna in medieval times, you for sure you were gonna end up in battle. Well, you know, yeah. before that, any time before that. So anyway, we could go on right now for though, though for us as women, this is the first generation we've been allowed to. Yeah, if we want that too. to. Yeah. So, thank you, Nancy. That was a great list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good list. Anybody that has books that yeah. you think would uh, add I, to the list, I send them. The Come only... on, Paul. We're yeah. waiting for you to send in your <laughs> send send in your recommendations. I think the only non biographical story I've ever can remember reading, like about someone's life, was uh, Glass Castle. 
And that spoke to me on a deep level because I also. I'm not familiar with that book. It's a it's a woman who come came from a very like troubled home Mm -hmm. and childhood, and her family was just messed up. And I'm like, I understand. (laughs) There's a lot of book about the the, what things women had to go through. The recent one I read was uh, uh, from Ayanushi Ali, Infidel. Mm-hmm. And that's her, which is uh, her story, and you know it's wow, <laughs> she yeah. went through a lot. <laughs> she, she went did. through a lot, she did. so she'd be a great guest on our show too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you never know. All right, my dear Kirsten, you ready for another brilliant moment? I sure am. Do you buy religion? That's right. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So you would think that Christians would jump at the chance to see their savior represented in popular media, right? Of course. Of course. But. Some believers are a tad upset about the portrayal of Jesus in the new series from DC Comics. Is he a superhero or villain? Wait, wait, hold on a sec. DC Comics? Has yeah. Jesus. It was like a Superman versus Jesus? Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wonder who would win. <laughs> the premise is actually pretty great. The superhero is Jesus, right. but he comes back to Earth only to set the record straight after seeing how many people have twisted <gasps> his words. This is amazing! That's brilliant! The series, called Second Coming, <laughs> and written by Mark Russell with art by Richard Pace, I want to read this. comes out in March, just in time for Easter. Oh my oh. gosh, I want to read, read this. I, I know. According to comic book resources, Russell mixed in his own idea of Christianity in the animated work by claiming that Jesus needed to return to Earth to learn how to become the true Messiah from a Superman-like character called Sunman. <laughs> you know what? Ooh, that, that, would, so I, that, that would be so great if it actually happened because you could see Jesus come in and say, guys, guys, I said I don't like figs. Not fags, figs. Figs, guys, come on. That's brilliant. I love it. Witness the return of Jesus Christ as he is sent on a most holy mission by God to learn what it takes to be the true Messiah of mankind by becoming roommates with the world's favorite savior, the all-powerful superhero Sun Man. Could you the imagine l- Jesus trying to learn no, 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 just let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> the all-powerful superhero Sun Man, the last son of Chris Fax. Chris Fax. Oh my god. But when Christ returns to earth, he's shocked to discover that he has what has become of his gospel, and now he aims to set the record straight. The comic description reads You know what? <laughs> if Jesus was anything the man he was depicted at in the Bible, he would be shocked. Yeah. At being back today. And he would probably go to the US and be labeled a terrorist. The first thing, I'm not white, ice. guys. I'm not white. That's right. And then he'd be probably thrown into, oh, what is this hippie and, you know, this socialist trying to turn. I know, right? <laughs> oh, Kirsten, when it comes out, you're going to have to get a copy of oh, it. Oh, yeah. Do a review. Yes. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great picture. Uh, you look at a picture of Yeah, he's putting a, a, a loaf of bread in someone's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> While Sunman like chokes someone out. <laughs> oh, I just It's hilarious. It. I'm looking forward to it. A buddy cop comedy with Jesus. That'd be oh great. Pretty God. much. Like that's what the cover looks like. Could it's you hilarious. imagine? Them setting Jesus in front of YouTube and him just like falling down, like the YouTube. Oh, yes. Like, rabbit hole? Rabbit hole. Oh, no. Him ending up on like watching like Rick and Morty. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is probably where my gun would start. Oh. I think he'd be happy to if he stopped at Rick and Morty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Alrighty. Moving on. And I'm very, I'm looking, I'm kind of looking forward to that coming out. Oh my gosh, me too. For sure. For sure. I should pre order it. A woman wrote to the 700 Club on Wednesday oh, to ask no. Pat The 700 Robertson, Club? Oh, hold on. Let me get comfortable with this. Uh, uh, yeah. 
for advice about the gay porn she found on her 13-year-old son's iPad because <laughs> he's really the expert. Here's what she wrote. <clears throat> Hello, Pat and friends. I was doing my weekly technology checkup on my 13-year-old son's iPad computer when I noticed homosexual pornographic material in his search history. Oh, kid! This kid. has greatly shaken my family. <laughs> this has greatly shaken my family and my connection to God. How can we stop my son's homosexual interests? Emma. Oh, God, don't do conversion therapy. How can therapy. we stop? Whatever you do, don't do conversion therapy. Oh, my God, is he going to say do conversion No. Stop, and I'll finish the story. Okay, sorry. <laughs> she's, she's, she's almost, I can almost picture her with a bag of popcorn hiding under the covers. No. Oh, my God, how is it going to turn out? No, 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 she'll have the paper bag hyperventilating. Yeah, because conversion, like, your kid's going to kill himself. Don't do that. Don't do that. Robertson's response began decently enough, talking about... How boys that age will be curious. And then descended into chaos. You should do it with the voice. Uh, the boys oh that age are going to be Have you actually curious. watched The 700 Club, Kirsten? No. Oh, you are no. lucky. I grew up on it. Oh, you How am I not surprised? Yep. Enjoy TV. Why would I want to watch it? Yeah, true <clears> enough. <laughs> well, look. Kids are curious about all kinds of stuff. I mean, you know, eight, nine, ten-year-old boys. They're interested in all kinds of things. So they're exploring stuff. I think, how can you stop it? I think what you need to do is to cut off that particular avenue that's coming into him because somebody's trying to seduce your son and they shouldn't be sending homosexual or any other kind of sexual material on the internet. Does he understand it how shouldn't Google be works? done. The, I thought, and I thought so, he was going to say, when you went to cut off, I had a, I had, I thought too. I had a different yeah. picture in my mind. I thought, oh my God, no, he's not going there. Uh, the, the, the one that caught me is that particular avenue that's coming into him. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so, but is it out there? Yes. How do you stop it? Well, you really need to find some technological way of cutting the cord on that one because that's not good for him or you. <laughs> mm. He really doesn't understand who didn't, Google didn't, works. And he didn't blame it on demons? I mean, he's I, a little so, off his He's probably here. getting to that. He's probably warming yeah. up that. Boy views porn on the internet. Pat Robertson thinks boy is being groomed to be an actual gay. Or by an actual gay. Man. <laughs> Not even in the same ballpark on that one. But this is what happens when you ask for tech advice from an 88-year-old man. Eight, oh, he can't be 88. Uh, he's got to be like 8,800. Exactly. <laughs> Well, it's just they talking about this. They thought him out of a fridge every this week. This current life of 88. <laughs> so, the problem isn't the kid looking up sexual material online. I promise you that's going to happen. And the kid will eventually learn how to clear his browser history or, or incognito. <laughs> the problem here, the bigger problem I see, is the mother doing a weekly technological technology checkup on her son that involves going through that browser history. Wait. He's 13, and there's a lot of stuff he's going to look up that mom's better off not knowing about is that bad to do to your kid <laughs> well, well i oh think my god i would be such a helicopter parent well, i would be doing daily i'd be like okay what are you doing online okay oh, i have to explain this more though no 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 okay let me talk about <laughs> okay sorry. okay i'm gonna just jump interrupt my own story here what we're gonna do is we're gonna educate any said children that we may or may not have yeah. on proper internet safety yes because for me, I'd be terrified that they would actually be getting groomed online. Because we're not. I've experienced that, and it's like horrifying, and it's like, don't do that. Don't talk We're to not going to do what this lady's, oh. what it seems like this lady is doing, and just going through 
his browser history every single week to see everything that he's been doing because honestly that's just going to create a whole lot of trust issues if there isn't any already if you find anything questionable you can talk to your kid about it okay hey like what were you trying to find like why did you go into this and like if they're like oh you know i was trying to look up this thing and you can uh, use it as a topic starter and you can talk with your kids about yeah. the sex talk and stuff like that. And use it to open up avenues and yeah. create not trust. Like, not no, just going through yeah. their stuff. Never just go through your kids' stuff. What percentage of parents overall do you think um, go through their children's browsers and check their uh, internet um, I don't think uh, it's a lot. Connections. Do, do you think like 20% of um, the parents? Do you think mostly religious parents? I, do you think parents who really want to establish trust and say, I'm, I'm, I'm making, uh, I, I'm letting you know that you're, you've got your smartphone or you've got your tablet, but here are the restrictions because yeah. you're too young to understand these things unless I we can explain them to there's you. There's definitely boundaries I that you need to have. I think tech-savvy parents are more likely to go through. Yeah. People that are not tech-savvy don't. understand don't. how to do, especially, I think this generation coming up understands the dangers of the internet. Yeah. And how easily things can be taken advantage of. Oh yeah, absolutely. Here's like, the- like, cause the thing is going through the browser history isn't really good telling cause like, especially kids can be taken advantage of on apps like, um, Instagram and Snapchat. Like those, like people who are trying to actually take advantage of your kids, understand technology, know how to get to your child. Yeah. You know the irony. Where they are. You know the irony in all this? Is while she's doing this, the kid's going through her his mother's internet browser yeah. and she says he says, The seven hundred club? Really? <laughs> Think about me being taken advantage of? Yeah. Come on. Pretty much. You're giving <laughs> the money so, to a freaking So outfit. overall you're not against No. The, um, I'm not I know it sounds restricting like restricting or making or having boundaries for children. Oh god no. No. Because up to what age? Um, for me... I think it depends on the maturity of the child. I would continue doing it, honestly, until they moved out. Like, well, until they were, like... No, okay, let me explain this. Till they were, like, 17, 18, like, until they were an adult. But I would do it differently at mm-hmm. different ages. But I would always keep the communication with what that child is doing yeah. online. I wouldn't... Like, if, if they're 16... Oh, I would have hated you at my mother. That's my mother. Yeah. Oh, God, but again, I, I, I like... <laughs> to be fair, like, I, as someone who has... I've I've been taken advantage online of online before, uh, myself. So I, I am terrified of a child <laughs> going through that experience. So I would be so hyper vigilant because yeah. <laughs> I'm like no don't fair talk enough. to anyone fair enough if we ever have kids it's going to be an interesting roller coaster ride I'm going to tell you that just, one just as long as she doesn't pull away his yeah. iPad and give him well, a Bible I think that kid will when, be fine. when a child's older say when they're 15 or like 14 15 I'm not going to be like going through their history I'll talk to them and I'll like make sure that if they're talking to people online they know who they are yeah that they're not talking to random strangers or people who are like liking their photo and being like, oh my gosh, you're so like cool and awesome because all people who actually want to take advantage of your kid will pretend to be kids at oh, the yeah. same age and get to know them. And then, yeah, it's, it's, it's horrifying. And I just want to say, I'm not against like monitoring, wa- monitoring your what your kid's doing. I'm just saying, first of all, you should educate them yeah, on totally. like 
the shit that goes on in our world and also like do it in a way where you're keeping that communication open and not like just taking it and going through yeah. their history or just doing it behind their back and then just like waiting for them to be like I looked at this and you've been looking at this so um do you want to talk about that yeah. and like bombarding also them with because that. Yeah, and it's, if, if your it kid be difficult because you have you know kids like 13 10 13 to 14 15 they just mentally don't understand mm-hmm. the danger at all yeah you can explain it to them but oh yeah it's, it's it's so foreign to and their understanding and it is they don't you know the the power of sex and the power oh yeah of, absolutely you know, they just in, can't comprehend you know, it yet. for um a lot of different reasons they're just oblivious and, and trying to explain how dangerous it is you know is like they it, it, they don't really understand yeah. uh, and, I, and i think how they can be hurt by it your child talk to like, like i personally am a like i encourage anyone with children to get them counseling even if they don't have like an obvious like need for it just having them able to talk to someone outside of their home that they can share things with always helps Mm -hmm. and then they if they are getting into a sticky situation that they don't feel comfortable sharing with you they can share with a counselor and Oh, I feel sorry for yeah. any of my children. <laughs> Especially because they'll understand that with the counselor, that is a safe spot. Mm-hmm. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, ladies, for that. <laughs> wow, that, 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 that took an interesting turn, didn't it? Yeah. It, it, it took a left for sure. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let's put that on pause. And when we come back, we'll be talking to Rich Lyons about his Yay. podcast. And Yay. hopefully he'll forgive us for the treatment we gave him last Hey, night. I was wonderful. <laughs> I was wonderful. So stay with us. Hi, I'm God, and I just wanted to make sure to tell you not to listen to Unapologetics on Stitcher and SoundCloud. That's Unapologetics with an X at the end. But, uh, yeah, definitely do not listen to the show. I mean, I swear to me, right, I will murder my son. Uh, well, I mean, I... Kinda already did that, but uh, just don't listen to the show, okay? Hey, Lucy. Can you not can you not call me that, okay? We already went over what my name is, okay? It's Lucifer. Alright, look, Luce. Uh, you wanna come with me? I'm gonna go fuck with this guy, Joe. No, don't don't do that, okay? Can you just leave him alone? Yeah, I'm gonna kill his family. No, don't don't do that. I'm gonna give him sores all over his body. Don't 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 do that. That's disgusting. And, uh, I'm gonna kill all of his livestock. You just, know. Stop! Stop saying things. Just stop. Yeah, I'm gonna blame the whole thing on you. <laughs> uh, all right, let's go, bud. Remember, don't listen to unapologetics on Stitcher and SoundCloud. Hey, definitely listen to that show. It's awesome. It's really cool. He's really a dick. I heard that. In a world torn apart by a lack of reason. And I think it should be religion treated with ridicule and hatred and contempt. And I claim that right. In the morning. Hi, everybody. This is Robert Stanley from the Right to Reason podcast. And if you subscribe now, you'll get free... About the broadcast at the right to reason.com.
and I know what he says and in his book. I have access to a higher authority. Now, what I want you, I'll ask, how does he know that? And by what right does he claim to know the mind of God? And if you were a serious spiritual person, wouldn't you think it was a bit much that someone said they could come before you and tell you what God wanted? Back is our old friend Rich Lyons and Hello. with his co-host Deanna for live streaming without pants on. Oh Guys, <laughs> thank you for joining us at Left of the Valley. Thanks for having us. Yeah. You say that now. <laughs> Rich, first of all, I'm going to profusely, profusely apologize for last time. Uh, we, were, we had a great time last time. I we did. Well, we, we did, but the thing is, I was so out of it because your name is Rich Lyons that I started calling you Ryan instead. And <laughs> I was putting the two I was together. To it. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but Kevin, the point of the whole show was how people react when they're stoned, and you were stoned, and Rich and I, you it know, got along beautifully, and you know, I think it, I think it was the best part of the show. What do you think, Rich? Didn't we? Have have a fun oh it was a great show that yeah. was as much fun as i've had on the radio in a long time yeah, i just want to say hi rich i'm finally aware oh, hey how are you doing good it's so great you didn't have a hangover after all that fun it, right it was i had a great sleep though i went home and passed out and had a, like a 10-hour nap uh, so, so I, I guess I guess I gotta thank you and Nancy for saving our bacon for that show. <laughs> That's for sure, and uh, we really appreciate that. Uh, but today we are going to talk to you and your partner Deanna about your show called Life After Faith. So maybe you guys will be uh, so kind for our audience that might not be aware of you guys. Uh, give us a brief uh, bio about who Rich and Diana are. Well, uh, Living After Faith, actually, Life After Faith is a book by somebody who I think is still a believer. So we don't want to send oh, our, our listeners astray. <laughs> How could you, Kevin? Another one of my blunders. <laughs> I, I've wow. been doing nothing but that lately. And you don't You're even not have the excuse. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking I should start taking drugs. Maybe that'll just Help. make me feel better and I'll be actually on cue. Okay, guys, bio. <laughs> Let's find out who Rich and Diana are. Okay, Deanna. so Deanna. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Sorry. Definitely need more drugs. I mean, it's in your defense, it's very early in the morning right now, so <laughs> So the Living After Faith show is, uh, it started as Rich just telling his experience, leaving this fundamentalist Pentecostal religion. And, uh, you know, he sat down on the mic and would just start talking about what he was going through. And it's morphed into a show where we talk about as many aspects of living after faith that we possibly can. You know, we try to cover, you know, ways that our thinking changes, the ways that our lives change, 
the uh, brand new attitudes that we bring to life when we leave a religion. And uh, we've had so many wonderful people on the show over the year to share their experiences. It's been super, super interesting. And uh, we've got a new project right now, which we are so excited. We're just in the launch phase and it's the After Faith Network. And once I get the website working, it'll be at afterfaith.net. But uh, just heads up, my tech skills are not real quick right at the moment. <laughs> and what we'll have is we'll have three different shows, uh, maybe four, actually, now that I think about it. Let's see. We'll have Living After Faith. Yes. I am recording today uh, a new show based on the same theme called Loving After Faith, oh, where we'll talk yeah. about love and relationships and sex and whatever else. Mm-hmm. And uh, then there is uh, Jerry DeWitt's joining us with the After Faith Network. The best hair in atheism, Jerry DeWitt. (laughs) Yep. The guy with the good hair. He's (laughs) doing uh, the Hope After Faith Between the Pages, where he takes some uh, pages from his book and he'll read and talk about what he was going through at the time in in his life that he was writing about. And so, you know, intimate little looks into uh, more detail from his Hope After Faith book. And then we're all three together doing a monthly uh, NPR-style storytelling kind of show where we'll follow a theme and have interviews and some hip music and narration, kind of uh, similar to what you would hear on This American Life. Mm -hmm. Wow, Wow, ambitious. That's hope after all. Yeah. Yeah. So so I got to ask, with all these projects, uh, why the hell would you come to the bottom of the barrel lift of the Valley Show to do an interview? (laughs) We're wonderful. (laughs) This is practice for them. It's practice. It's practice for the real thing. So Deanna, we we heard about Rich's background um, when he was on the show, but what's your background? When I was a kid, my parents used to drag us to uh, a local Methodist church. It was, you know, one of those upper middle class, mellow, Mm -hmm. you know, we welcome everyone kind of uh, churches. But then I got to have a wild experience with some uh, I guess you'd call them charismatic evangelicals. Um, the the I hate to say franchise because that sounds like a business, but I think that's actually right. Is it was a vineyard franchise church, and so they're real big on the music. I ended up uh, leaving home as a teenager and got stuck in a foster home with these incredibly insistent evangelicals. And that was the first time I'd ever heard anybody talk about ex-gay things. They were real big on sending somebody away to some sort of camp type thing, and they would try to pray away the gay. And, you know, I was a, gosh, I think I was like a 14 or 15 year old. I knew I was bisexual, but I didn't like have any, you know, experience. And I didn't know that really that's what I was Mm -hmm. and it was okay yet. You know, I was still real young and formative. So here I am stuck in this foster home with these people that forced me to go to church three times a week. And they're talking about, you know, praying the gay away. And I'm like terrified they're going to do it to me, Mm -hmm. you know. So after that experience, I, I started thinking a lot more about religion and just kind of slowly throughout the years realized I thought everybody was full of shit. I don't think (laughs) any religions, any God beliefs, any supernatural claims have any merit to them. And uh, so here I am just reading and learning as much as I can and making shows about a topic I'm passionate about. Well, that's fascinating stuff. And then then, Mm -hmm. you essentially teamed up with Rich and now Mm -hmm. history was made, essentially. And how long have you guys been going on the show? 
We started in uh, 2010, late 2010. Wow. We took about a five-year sabbatical after uh, 2013, and we're back ramped up with about 20-plus new episodes. So we were here, and then we were gone, and now we're here again. Wow. Well, it's good to have you back. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so essentially, yeah, you guys have plenty of experience. You're not like the new kids around the block. So maybe I, I should ask, in, in your time... I don't know if you guys can make some kind of compilation, but have you seen much changes in the movement from when you guys started in 2010 as to what we're uh, living right now? Oh, yeah. Don't even get me started. Well, I want to get you started. That's the whole point of the interview. (laughs) Oh, okay, good. I'll get started then. So (laughs) when I first started getting into atheist movement stuff, it was like a lot of people right after 9-11 and you had people writing books and speaking out and using the terms atheist and, Mm -hmm. you know, starting to talk about the uh, very real and very uh, in-your-face harm of like extreme religions Mm -hmm. because that was, you know, very much what 9-11 attacks were about. And then, you know, from that, of course, everybody started expanding, talking about religion in our society. And, you know, a lot of new atheists like me were trying to say, hey, y'all, it's not just Muslim Mm -hmm. people from some scary foreign country. Mm -hmm. This is religious extremism is a problem everywhere and in many different flavors. So, that was I started, you know, listening to the Atheist Experience show. I was uh, I was listening to tons of podcasts. I read books. And, uh, you know, when we decided that we were going to start living after faith, there was nothing else really like it in the market. Um, I don't think at that time the um, what is the board for pastors who don't believe? Oh, oh the uh Clergy project. The clergy project wasn't no, it hadn't around started. yet. It was a year later that the clergy project started. Yeah, and so you know the the movement was very big and growing uh, in in its in its voice. You know there wasn't a lot of people, but you you had meetups starting up, groups everywhere, people online, and tons and tons of podcasts. And uh, then you know over the years there's been a lot of uh, stress within the movement because people have kind of split off into several different camps mm-hmm. and uh, unfortunately the rise of the alt right in the US was in part aided by many of those who would call themselves skeptics and atheists and you know you had a lot of personalities kind of splitting off into their own camps and it uh, it's been quite the mess. Now, we are very much on the social social justice, liberal side of uh, the divides. We try to get along with everybody, but we do not tolerate Nazis. And so apparently that makes us like some kind of weird extremist. Really? You don't tolerate <laughs> Nazis? Yeah, I know. It's the strangest thing. I don't understand it, but <laughs> that's where we are as a, as a movement right now. But we have tons and tons of wonderful people doing great work all over the place. There's a lot of humanists uh, doing projects like the Foundation Beyond Belief, where they fund charity work. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of good going on. So we have to remind ourselves sometimes that it's not all just a quagmire of people being jerky to each other and arguing and calling theists stupid. And, you know, there's a lot of good, positive work going on. And so we try to just focus on that. That's awesome. Yes, that is awesome. And I think you bring up a very good point here when you say part of the rise of the alt-right was in part fueled by the skeptic movement as well, because essentially the skeptics were also calling the left to be actually uh, put forward what they were sustain, uh, su- 
sustain their, their words essentially and I think that I think the alt-right essentially took advantage of that because of course they don't care about whatever's true or not right so yep. that, 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 that was that was an interesting uh, point you made there and I don't think it's one that we've actually explored before but anyway let's move on to something else <laughs> so when you when you guys you talk about it, you do interviews and you talk about Jerry DeWitt and all that uh, there are a lot of other names that we should know that you guys have interviewed in the past uh, we've interviewed a lot of people in the past. Uh, Jerry is a partner with us in uh-huh. the uh, Hope After Faith or the After Faith Network. So Jerry is a, a partner. He and I were Pentecostal pastors at about the same time, about 100 miles apart from each other. Really? We never met when we were Pentecostal pastors, but we began, we got to know each other as atheists. And it's funny because, you know, he'd be, oh, I was pastoring in Ritter, and I'm like, whoa, I was pastoring in Marshall. And, you know, how we didn't run into each other as uh, fellow United Pentecostal churchers is beyond both of us because uh, we had mutual friends, but we never met each other. So, uh, of course, we talk with Jerry DeWitt fairly often now. Uh, As far as guests we've had on, I'm trying to think. I know we've had P.C. Myers. Oh, really? My God. We've had uh, Steve Shives. Uh, How about Daryl Ray? Daryl Ray. Daryl Ray. Times? We started a lot with Daryl Ray. We were actually at one time the official podcast of Recovering After Religion. Oh, nice. And Daryl Ray, back in the first, before we reinvented ourselves here in the last uh, year, well, we were the official podcast of Recovering from Religion. So we've had Daryl Ray on numerous times. He's, He's a great, great guy. guy. Well, yeah, we in have fact, two. I hope you guys can get that mental back. That'd be great. Oh, that would be fun. We'll have to think about it. Yeah. yeah, it's something we haven't really wanted to pick up on. We want to be independent and do our own thing this go around. Well, because if you decide to go for it, just tell Daryl that if he doesn't do it, he'll have to do an interview with us again. And he, ah. just, he might, just might say, okay, okay, fine, fine. I capitulate. I'll give it to you. <laughs> no, we love Daryl. Oh, Darryl. we love Daryl Ray. We're just like doing our own thing this go around. We <laughs> worked the thing with them the first go round, and that was exciting and good for everyone. But this is just our own... Uh, Attempt to, mm-hmm. to see what we can do on our own. I, I'm I, I'm uh, I'm glad that you say you you and uh, Jerry worked together, Jerry Dewitt, because I met Jerry Dewitt uh, several years ago. Uh, he was nothing short but a, a southern gentleman to me. Uh, he oh, yeah. was he was a fantastic, fantastic guy. You know, super polite. The the all you had to do is put him in white clothing or something like that, like Colonel Dolphin. He, he would totally fit it, right? He's like, oh, I can totally believe it. He, uh, he was wearing a blazer and everything. He was he was a great guy. And we had him on the show, what, two years ago? We something need, like we that. We need to bring him back. We need to bring him back. We need to find a reason to bring him back. So, Excellent. So um, so you show, you show his back on, and you guys are rolling ahead. Uh, is there anything you guys were looking forward in the future, some of the guests you need to bring on? What we're doing now, now that we've got such a broad platform, we've got the daily show with Jerry, Mm -hmm. we've got uh, two monthly shows and a weekly show. Uh, Living After Faith is the weekly show. Mm -hmm. With it, we're trying to broaden our base a little bit and maybe even do multiple interviews in a single episode where we can take a topic and have several people from different perspectives on the topic Mm -hmm. come on. And that's something that we're really looking forward to now is being able to 
rather than just have a single interview and the show be a single interview show, which we'll still do some of that, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, and there'll be always be interviews in the shows, but uh, it'll be a chance and an opportunity for us to add more people and get a little deeper into the subjects that we do cover. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, if you guys need a Canadian perspective, we'll be more than happy to <laughs> lend our, hey. uh, our voice to your show. Thank Seriously so like much. that. We need to have you guys on. Actually, so you guys when we are get down here, we should schedule a time to record and have you guys on us. Yeah. You, like Nancy said, you guys are busy like 24-7 all these shows. My God, we can put all the time in there. That's a lot of work. I think a lot of it is our uh, inherent laziness. We like to <laughs> actually get things done by doing sort of a set it and forget it method to uh, steal a phrase from one of those uh, food Rumble companies <laughs> advertising on TV in the 80s. So, you know, things like our Twitter feeds and our uploads, I like to set everything up so that you don't have to mess with it ever again. Mm -hmm. So websites, etc. Mm -hmm. um, we're still kind of working on that with this incarnation, but... The principle is to do the most with the least amount of action, i.e. laziness. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could totally understand that. Guys, in, in the current political uh, climate that the United States are in, how do you guys feel about uh, the future of atheism? Do you think, you think we have a bright future? Because a lot of people are depicting a pretty negative image right now. Uh, where, where do you guys stand there? You know, right now, we've got this faux evangelism or faux evangelicals trump is not an evangelical no. trump is i doubt even a christian i doubt he's human <laughs> <laughs> he's using the evangelicals and the uh, church as uh, a political tool mm -hmm. and i think right now they're getting a lot of coverage because uh, politics and religion are working together, so they're getting a lot of coverage. I really think long-term atheism is growing and atheism is eventually going to overtake the church as to which is larger. Mm -hmm. Atheism is the largest growing religion, if you want to call it a religion. They do for statistical purposes. So for stats, uh, atheism is the largest growing belief system is a word I choose mm -hmm. and like better. So still in the U.S., atheism is the largest growing belief system. The churches are seeing steady decline, very strong decline, especially as the millennials uh, just turn their back on the church. So where the church goes from here, I think the church uh, has to do some very serious restructuring or they're going to uh, – just fade to a very minor background uh yeah yeah i totally agree. not a powerhouse just yeah. fade back to something the way kind of like you know you still occasionally do see a horse and buggy every now and then yeah. mm -hmm. but if you were to go to the you know the chevy dealership and try to invest in a horse and buggy you know you're you it's just not your your whole system's not going to work they don't mm -hmm. have pooper stations they don't have all the stuff that used to have back in the yep. horse and buggy days so it's just <laughs> not going to work but they'll still that. have religion but we'll look at it like a horse and buggy oh mm -hmm. isn't that quaint isn't that yeah. cute wow they still keep a horse around that's so sweet and uh That'll be about the effect that it has. I really mm -hmm. think that's where it's headed. I'm sorry. I'm just, now from now on, I will always equate evangelical with a horse with and buggy. Pooper station. Pooper station. Just, that's just <laughs> so, well, there's a lot of horse shit going around on oh that. Oh, my side. God. <laughs> yes, for sure. So, in your show, what has been the most exciting topic that you guys have 
really enjoyed. Yeah. As far as, uh, let me tell you about one particular show that I did, and it was with Robert Parham. He is, uh, I'm not sure he's in Florida, and he has a title with one of the atheist uh, organizations mm-hmm. there, and I don't want to yeah. say the wrong organization or title. Yeah, I think it was a humanist um, organization if he's not uh, on the board or president or something. Yeah, and he is on the board of uh, the clergy project. <laughs> I was interviewing him, and he was telling me, about a very dear friend of his who was also in the ministry. And this dear friend of his happened to be gay. And he was telling how this dear friend of his was going to treatments where he would sit in a chair and they would connect probes to places on his body. And they would show him pictures and whenever his body had a response, he would get shocked. Oh Oh, God, with a painful shock to train him that having homosexual responses is a wrong thing to mm-hmm. do. And um, we talked to Robert Parham in episode 51 of Living After Faith, and uh, to hear him tell that story, uh, Daryl Ray called me and said, I'm in tears. I cannot... I don't know how to deal with this. This is, it, it was just to hear that story. And that's what we try to do with Living After Faith is bring people to that place where they tell you something that hits you in the feels, that makes you make a decision. How do I feel about this? Or at least causes you to say, I need to think about how I think about this. I need to think about, you know, wow, I never thought about if someone. You know, is it? Can you possibly think it's a choice when you've got this guy being hooked up yeah. to electrodes, trying to save his job and his career and his life, and uh, make all of that happen because he just cannot be gay? And can you say, well, just choose not to be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but you can't say that because it's not a choice. Mm-hmm. So a lot of where we try to go with living after faith is to get into that place where. It, it gets inside your brain where you've got to make a, a, a decision or think about something that maybe you haven't thought about before or think about it in a way that you haven't thought mm-hmm. about it before. I think it's even more distressing because when you hear a story like that, this is the kind of thing you expect to read in a history book from things that would do in medieval torture. And yeah. you're thinking, wow, this, this is 2019 and this is happening now? That's, exactly. Th- that's the distressing part about this. Like, God, are we, are we so barbaric still? Yes. Yeah, because of religion, yeah, right? We are. We are. Uh, terribly unfortunate to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I'd really like to get into a related um, topic in a future show, which is uh, of teens who are supposedly troubled getting sent off to these religious mm. uh, camps. Yes, yes. Because it's very much a similar topic. Oftentimes, what they mean by troubled at-risk youth, these uh, religious programs, is they mean the kid is gay or wants to dye their hair green or mm-hmm. doesn't believe in the religion fervently enough. And so, you know, similar to the Jesus Camp uh, story, which really exposed people to how yes. terrible this kind of influence on children is, I think uh, I would really like to get into the topic of teens being subjected to this kind of stuff because it can be incredibly traumatizing for them. And, you know, I want to shed a light on it so we can hopefully get some attention toward topics like that and help people 
understand this is a real big problem and we can fight against it. Mm -hmm. Mm. And what's even more mind-blowing about all this is is how uh, the religious influence can insert itself as some kind of expert opinion. You know, it's a bit like these people that say, well, oh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a sex addict. Okay, and then, of course, I'll use Daryl Ray because Daryl Ray is just great for that. And Daryl will say, well, well, who diagnosed you? Oh, Oh, my priest. Well, how the hell is he an expert in this? You know, <laughs> and people don't stop exactly. for half a second to think about this. How the hell is your priest, your pastor, or well, your rabbi an expert in sexual matters all of a sudden? Exactly. exactly. They're not, right? It's, it's, uh, yeah, that's astonishing. Wow. Good and point. Marriage girl. counseling. How often do you have <laughs> people going to various churches where before they get hitched, they have to go for pre-marriage counseling with a guy who's never been married? <laughs> you know, in some cases, it's people who are celibate in their churches, like Catholic priests, but even pastors who are, you know, married in their in their church and it's okay with them. These, these aren't people who've been married a bunch of times or have any experience with relationship counseling. They're literally just giving their work, their their opinion, because they're somehow chosen by God to do something. It's, you know, it's wild. Uh, religion puts people up on a pedestal, kind of for their God, and makes them experts about things they know nothing about. And mm-hmm. it is incredibly distressing. Well, to put that in a proper perspective, I was a pastor for twenty years. Uh, Ten years of that, I was a, pa- a senior pastor. And would do that kind of counseling. Now, my marriage was an absolute disaster yeah. during uh, the Pentecostal years. Uh, don't know if you've heard this, but my story has been circulated pretty well. During the 20 years I was married, I had sex 12 times. Wow. Oh, wow. That was what our marriage was like. And you can just draw from anything. I mean, that's all you need to know about it. It was just horrific. And, uh, you know, so you've got the guy who's been married 20 years and had sex 12 times, and he's counseling new people who are getting married. What the hell does he know? What the fuck did I know? I, I knew nothing, man. I was, I'd have been happy for someone to tell me how to get laid, much less try to tell other people how to get laid. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, we can send you Nancy. Nancy's been married nine times, but that's because she has a tendency, she has a tendency to outlive or kill her, her ex-husband. Well, so the thing about being being counseled by a, a, a pastor, and I, I'd love to have your input uh, on this, is that so many times when the man and woman are there in front of the pastor, the pastor wants to emphasize to the woman that the man is the head of the household mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and oh, any yeah. problems that she's experiencing, she's got to just stuff it and pay attention to what her husband wants. And she's given, you know, she she's listened to because that's the pastor's job. But the advice that she's given is is mostly to just knuckle under and go along with it how, how did you how did you treat those kinds of, of problems our church was exactly the same way the united pentecostal church is the most misogynistic organization that i think mm. you probably could ever be associated with it uh requires women you cannot cut your hair women can't wear makeup can't wear jewelry uh must wear dresses no pants always dresses uh you know, the long hair, it, it, they stand out. There are all these things that are put on women that women have to do and bear the brunt of. And at the same time, the man's the head of the house. He's all this stuff. And, and that's what you see. You see a lot of women 
who respond back by saying, I'm just not going to put out, you know, and I know that sounds disrespectful. It sounds a lot of things, but when the only place that a person has power is to exercise the physical ability to say no, uh, people are going to exercise that physical ability to say no. When the only source of power they have, the only place you give them a place that they can respond, and you tell them they can't respond there, but they figure out they can. See, that's that's another thing. You say, you have to do this. Well, a woman can say, you know what? I don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it can change. So uh, a very misogynistic place to to try to have a family in a very uh, constricted place for the women, and that puts men in a place that uh, they find pretty unfortunate as well. Mm-hmm. Deanna, I got to ask you did you did you come out of apostasy as well, or were you raised uh, secular? I was raised mostly American Christian, which is you know pretty. Uh, lackadaisical, but if you happen to say you don't believe in gods or Jesus or anybody, people, you know, tend to get their back up. Um, I was lucky to have, aside from getting dragged to the Methodist church just about every week by my parents when I was young, and I hated dressing up. (laughs) I hated getting up early in the morning. I hated trying to sit through church with my tummy rumbling, you know, (laughs) it was it was awful. But my experience with the evangelical church was what really turned me kind of against religion and and turned me like helped me realize that most of my life I really hadn't believed that there was something there but I was told by everyone it was there so I had to kind of take that like well I guess that's what everybody says um but you know I'm I really I think a lot of it came from my love of reading my love of science fiction Um, I was always watching Star Trek as a kid, and they had a wonderful society with no gods. And the times that there were supposed gods, like V'ger, there really weren't a god behind it. It was just something people were pointing to and saying, this is a god. So I loved that aspect of it, and that would continue to influence me throughout my life. And just the more I look into these claims that people are making, you know, somebody says the Earth is 6,000 years old— And it's immediately obvious to me that they are wrong, but they believe it so fervently and I can see the harm of it. So Mm. I think that's what motivates me more is like kind of the anti-theist reaction to religion, not any positive belief um, of my own about it. So so since uh, since Rich and I are being outnumbered by the number of women right here right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So so I'm going to ask a a question since we got four ladies here. Let's ask a question to the ladies. Rich, if you don't mind. Uh, Sure. Ladies, Rich was saying there that basically a lot of women are subject and put the pressure from the church is to, you know, know your place as a woman and all that. Why do you think women seem to accept that role? And even in this day and age, after the liberation of women and everything. From a very young age, it's conditioned into you that you aren't shown any other way. Yeah, but I mean, until you're older, I can't. I can't speak. I can't speak as a woman, obviously, because I haven't been on. The, I'm not on that side of the <laughs> equation, right? I, I, but if, if if somebody came to me and told me that your role is to be subservient to the opposite sex, 
which let's face it, he kind of is. I'd say yes. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not sure what it would take for me to accept that. So I'm just trying to find, figure out, you know, what goes to a woman's mind to accept that position. I think, I think you know, Christine, is, it's, it, it's conditioning that leads to low self-esteem. Yeah. And mm. Because having it most starts of your role, when you're a toddler. Yeah having, yeah, having most of your role models when you're young, your aunts who are mm-hmm. home, home, being homemakers, the choice of toys, which are which having the to do dolls. with caretaking mm-hmm. others, yeah. you know, taking care of the, the dolls, yeah, yeah, learning yeah. to cook. and um, When the saying, boys no, want to no, go out not... and play and run around, you know, you have to stay in here and help me make food. Yeah, oh, and, yeah, and when when a little girl, at least used to be, you'd go to the store and they'd have girls' toys and boys' toys, and girls didn't wander off to the trucks and the jet planes and, and all of those action toys. No, no, you're going to come over here and have the Easy Bake, and mm-hmm. you're going to have, you know, the, the Tierras. I so wanted and an Easy Bake like as a boy. So you're, you're, you're three and four and five when you're... Um, you know who you are is is pretty well cemented in mm-hmm. in your view of the world. You yeah. know those are critical and years, and during those critical years, that's what you're taught. And yeah. unless you have enlightened parents, unless you have friends or you have other role models of women who are attorneys, mm-hmm. you know who are doctors, who not nurses, but who actually are, are doctors. doctors in the hospital mm-hmm. and have yeah. lead roles, you really and truly don't understand mm-hmm. what your role is going and to be. And also get with taking stuff like learning your quote unquote like place mm-hmm. from like in relation to like men when you're growing up and like uh your brother is like mean to you and your parents just say oh it's you know it's just boys being boys Mm -hmm. but then you try to be mean back and they get mad at you Hmm. you learn that there's no point in sticking up for yourself they're protected deanna do you concur i do concur and nancy had some really great points there uh it, a big part of all of this is cemented by our culture where you're when you're a kid this is so it surrounds you it's everywhere from the media that you see the attitudes and the things that the adults say around you the other kids you know i remember watching um a documentary about uh gender roles and how they affect young children mm-hmm. and they started asking kids as young as three years old boys and girls asking them like you know they they give the boy like a pink shirt and say here you can have this pink shirt and he would go oh no i can't wear that it's a girl shirt and you could see like how how strongly these roles are imprinted on people so young and so you know you as as a man you've your whole life people have kind of let you do your thing and you know i'm sure they've told you what to do an awful lot more than you wanted but so if somebody came to you right now and said you have to submit to everyone else around you i mean of course it's ridiculous but when your whole life you're told that not directly but through every form of more subtle communication that you have to be not in the way of others you have to you have to keep them happy and sometimes there's violent consequences Mm -hmm. like I can't tell you how many times that I have told a man he was doing something wrong in a very gentle way and he got very angry and attacked me for it Mm -hmm. how likely am I in the future to say hey there man person you're doing something that is hurting me or 
whatever, because I'm not going to risk that, right? So even when I'm at work, I, I work in a restaurant and, you know, I'm walking down a hallway and somebody else comes around the corner toward me and it's a man. And I am the one who without even thinking about it, flattens myself up against the wall so he can walk calmly and confidently by. Mm. And I am an extremely enlightened and outspoken and frankly angry woman when it comes to these issues. And yet I still do that stuff automatically. It's it's wild. It's just, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. so ingrained. I told yeah. you, I told you, especially the violence thing, we, 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 we're subject to that here with Nancy all the time, exactly. obviously. Uh, <laughs> lady, quick, quick follow-up, ladies. Um, do, do you think this is maybe why women have somehow accepted unofficially the role of guardians of tradition? Mm, I'm not sure. Well, in the, in the church, I mean, in, in Judaism, Christianity, I'm, I'm not that familiar with with how it is with Islam and with Muslims, but that's the role in the church mm -hmm. of, of the women to, um, to 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 teach those traditions and to keep them to keep them going. The men are the leadership, yeah. and the women are the keepers of tradition. You can't you can't I help think. but th I mean, you can't help but think it's almost like the slaves guarding the castle. You know, yeah. mm -hmm. it's it's just a, a absolutely amazing how religion has done yeah, to women. Yeah, to, to to expand on Deanna's is that when girls are young, who's cooking? Who's cleaning? Who's got the the um, the um, uh, uh, vacuum cleaner? Yeah. Who's in the car schlepping the kids from one place to the other and making sure they've got the clean clothes? It's women. You turn mm -hmm. the TV on. In general, who who are the people that you see in leadership roles on TV? Mm -hmm. Mostly, it's the men. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult, you know. To I think it's easier now for women. You know those women who are who are growing up. Um, I mean, look at look at Congress at this point. Look yeah. at the number of women now who are are taking over the Me Too movement. Yes, There's yes. so much that's going on. We're not going back, but it's it's still not at the point where the majority of women have the strength and the self-esteem yeah. to say, "I'm my own person. I can be whoever the hell I want to be. Deal with it." Yes. Okay, Amen, cool. Nancy. Amen. <laughs> All right. Well, guys. Richard's sister. Excellent. So, so guys, coming up for uh, Living After Fear, what's coming on the pipe for you guys? That's a good question. Uh, later today, we're recording our first episode of Loving After Faith. We're mm -hmm. recording an interview for it, and Loving After Faith is uh, just being launched now. Uh, this month is going to be its first episode and loving after faith is my wife Deanna she is uh, that's really her project but what she's going to do with loving after faith is discuss uh, the ways that uh, faith affects your loving relationships your sexual relationships your well be uh, listening what am I trying to say your passionate relationships and how the changing of uh, faith can change the passionate nature of the relationships and open new uh, ideas. I mean, when I was a Christian being in the fundamentalist group I was in, there were very few options. I mean, one man, one woman, mm -hmm. and don't really have a good time, you two. You know, it was kind of, <laughs> uh, you're making it too fun. So, you know, you change that into the Daryl Ray-esque, hey, what is uh, who says that's wrong who makes that wrong if if that's not really wrong then there's time there's room there's place to experiment and find out what you truly do so that's 
my excitement really is in what Deanna's doing now because I think that that's a subject that we in Living After Faith have covered from time to time, but being able to cover it on a monthly basis is going to be a lot of fun. I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to that. Fantastic. Absolutely. I, ho- I hope you guys send us the link so we can post that in the notes of the show. Absolutely. We will send you anything we got. Rich, Well, Deanna? I tell you what you need to do. You need to send yourselves up here <laughs> and, and we'll pick a top. We'll pick a top. We'll go have lunch or breakfast. We'll pick a topic and we'll just have a good time oh, enjoying so each other's yeah. company while we we'll, do the we'll show. We'll just kidnap them. We'll just become yeah. Canadians. Yeah. Hey, don't even go back to Seattle. Who wants I to go would back love to... to be a Canadian. I would love to be a Canadian. <laughs> it's wonderful. The United States is something right of, the, of the it's past. Wonderful. It's, you know, yeah, that country's falling apart. Yeah, come we'll on, come it, back we'll up here. We'll take it at Timmy's and introduce you to Tim Bits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rich yeah. Deanna, thank you. Back in the day, I had a girlfriend in Canada, and I've been to Timmy's. I like Timmy's. Oh, so. <laughs> Rich Deanna, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, yeah, please send us the links and all that. Uh, so the, the, the show is Living After Faith and a multitude of other shows as well. Please follow them. These guys are great. And before I let you go, though, i got to have you say hi. This is Rich Deanna from Living After Faith, After Faith, and we took a left at the valley. This is Deanna Joy Lyons. I'm Rich Lyons. We took a left at the valley. Fantastic. That was perfect. Mm-hmm. Yay, we practiced. And that was Rich and Deanna. Our from... new best friends. Yeah. <laughs> new best friends. We, got, we, we make, make a lot, lot of friends, new, don't we? We do yeah, make a lot so of we friends. We make a lot of new best friends. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the show is Living After Faith, and there's going to be a lot more shows, Love After Faith and all that stuff. So take a look into them, guys. They're mm-hmm. fantastic people, and we love them. And we'll uh, be on their show soon, which should be fun, too. Yeah. <laughs> they they really are extremely ambitious in the, the topics that they want to cover on a regular basis. I yeah, mean, exactly. More power to them. That's fantastic. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, exactly. More power to them. And we wish them all the best luck. And we'll be yeah. keeping a close eye on them. And, you know, it'll become just another one of those sister shows that we have that we like to encourage people to listen to. Yeah, I mean, encourage our, yeah. our listeners to cross over. Absolutely. And, and absolutely. To them for sure. The more, the more of us go out there and start yeah. speaking truth to power. The more of us are going to come out of the closet. Yeah. And that's the whole point of this, right? To realize, you know, that you're not alone. That's the whole point of it. Well, thank you so much, guys, for joining us on the show today. Thank you, ladies, for being with me. Our pleasure. Lots of fun. You can follow us on leftatvalley.com. You can follow us at, on Facebook, on Twitter, at LETV Podcast. You can send us an email on leftatvalley at outlook.com. Send your complaints to Nancy on the third floor, but make sure to duck once she throws a knife back at you. <laughs> <laughs> Give us a five-star review where you find us. It really helps us and helps others find the show. Uh, coming up next week, we'll have our... Chris the Christian Christensen yeah. versus John the Godless Engineer on the debate of the historicity of Jesus. That should be good. It's not going to be an Oxford style dictionary like a dictionary. Debate. Debate. God, I can't <laughs> speak today to save my life. Uh, like we did last time with Robert Stanley, it's going to be more of a conversation between the two. Mm-hmm. We thought we'd change things up for uh, for Chris because you know when, when they have Oxford style debate, that kind of really helps the Christian put out everything on the table and then you kind of have to answer to it. No, I want Chris to be more on his toes and actually have a conversation with John. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be interesting. After that, we have the ladies from Forsaken Faith Yay! coming back and talk about is the Bible actually good literature? Looking yeah. forward to that. Yes. Uh, and then we'll have uh, Zach from the Zachary Podcast. Of the Zachary Podcast. Zachary Podcast. <laughs> 
He'll be with us. And then, of course, after that, we'll have the legendary Matt Dillahunty. Waiting for that one. Uh, we'll be closing the month of February with the guys from Godless Heathen Podcast. Oh, yeah. That's going to be fun, too. Uh, we better get a lot of sleep before that one. <laughs> yes. And then, of course, we get into March, where we'll be having our fifth year celebration. Wow. Five years of Left of the Valley. Can you believe it? No. No, did, did, no neither can I, actually. You know, when we, when we, and I say we, although it was your show, and I was only on it for a while, but did, did you envision no. being here five years? No, no. This we, show we is... We thought, what, a year if it, if it goes well? If it goes well, you yeah. know, and uh, two, because I'm stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, it just... Two for sure. Yeah, for sure. And it just, you know, it really, really has changed my life. Uh, my life would not be at all where I am yep. right now if it wasn't for this little show. So, God knows. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I agree. We're actually it's, approaching. It's much better. We're actually approaching close to 250 episodes, I think now. Wow! I know it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, thank you so much, guys. Anything and else we need to add? Thanks to the listeners for keeping us going. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thanks to the listeners for correcting our mistakes. Yeah. Yes. We love you, Paul. Thank you to Paul. Thank you so much, guys. Until next time. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not putting out there three more podcasts just to compete with them. Okay. (laughs) I have my hands full with this one. Uh, see, the secret is that I outsource all of the work to the men in this group, and then I just, you know, lay back in bed and talk about sex with people. So, you know, hey, my kind of girl. Hell yeah. Oh. You gotta fight those gender roles. That's the thing. They already do that to me here, too. So, I. <laughs> Come on, guys. Sorry, honey. We just gotta train you for the next generation. Yeah. It's important to balance these things out. We'll be living in a world of Amazon women ruling oh, over men. <laughs> Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 